Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 119, week 119, volume 119, number fucking 119. Hey, going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Mick of Aversion's Crown, and that will be coming up later in the show. So really, single of the week is quiet this week. There was a couple of singles released, but to be honest, they're good, but not outstanding for a spotlight, so we'll come back to that next week. Album of the week, again, very quiet, nothing to write home about, nothing special, but we need to give a mention to fans of Killswitch Engage, if you like what Jesse does... Make sure you check out his side project, The Weapon. They've released their debut album, which is titled A Repungent Turn of Events. It's on Bandcamp. I'm not sure if it's on Spotify yet. But basically, it's nine tracks of punk rock hardcore fury. Make sure you check that out if you're a fan of Jesse and his work. Now let's get into feedback, questions, and what's been going on. While we continue to grow in listens, our interactions on social media and website activity, we still have a long way to go and a long way to grow. We still are grinding our way to get to the top. So help us out, guys. Give us a share on social media. Tell a mate about the podcast. And of course, leave us a rating and review. But also, most importantly... I need to say thank you, as always, to everyone that's listening right now from around the world. I hope you're safe, I hope you're happy, and much love. So enough of my ramblings, let's kick into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Mick of Aversion's Crown. First thing I gotta say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Now, if you're unsure on Aversion's Crown, they formed around 2009-2010-ish. Mick joined the band around 2013. There has been three albums so far, and the band are about to unleash their fourth album, which is titled Hell Will Come For Us All, which sees its release June 12th through Nuclear Blast Records. Aversion's Crown are without a doubt an Australian heavyweight in the deathcore game, but they're also a heavyweight on the international scene as well. They're a band that I have personally seen probably around 10 times live now, so I'm definitely a fan of what they do, so getting Mick on the show was a great moment for me and the show. It's in-depth, it's everything you expect. I really enjoy this chat. I hope you do too. That chat with Mick is coming up now. Right, so I start off with the same one for everyone and it's kind of, you know, when you were growing up, was there a band or an artist that wasn't heavy but just a musician unto itself that kind of woke you to music being in existence? I mean, my dad always had a lot of music on growing up, especially. Um, he listened to a lot of sort of the classic, I guess, British rock stuff. But um, I remember the first sort of 
real artist I, I got really into was probably David Bowie. He used to listen to a lot of that stuff and obviously that's not metal, but um, yeah, he yeah, had a lot of great sort of rock albums and then he kind of changed identity throughout the years and did a whole heap of cool stuff. But um, yeah, I used to be really into his stuff and, and sort of make tapes for myself of all my favourite Bowie songs and, and he was definitely one of the first ones I remember getting sort of really into. And where was your... Where was your musical discovery from there? Did you kind of listen to what was on the radio or did you have a friend at school that started opening your eyes into things? Like what was your progression into heavier music? Yeah, well, I guess my the way I sort of got in touch with more modern stuff um, was through the TV show Rage, which I guess mm-hmm. a lot of people probably watched back in the day. But um, I used to get up sort of early every weekend and, and religiously just watch Rage and just kind of learn about whatever pop music was out at the time. Um, I didn't have any older siblings, uh, unfortunately, who could have probably steered me in the in the right direction about what was going on. But um, I used to love watching that. And I remember the first heavy song I ever saw on there was Until It Sleeps by Metallica when that mm-hmm. came out. And I remember at the time kind of thinking, whoa, this is, this is pretty cool. I don't really understand it. And I haven't really sort of heard anything like this before. But something about it kind of just intrigued me and um, – yeah, I guess they were probably the first band I sort of started getting into that were like a, a heavier band. Were they were they one of the bands that motivated you to pick up guitar as an instrument or was there something else that motivated you to start playing guitar? They were definitely the, the band for me to start playing guitar. So I played other instruments sort of through school. Um, I was always sort of playing in school bands and all that kind of stuff, um, but never on guitar until sort of early high school. And I remember in a music class, I was already a, a pretty big Metallica fan by that stage and I had a music teacher who we had a whole heap of old acoustic guitars and he just saw me sitting there with it and he, and he showed me how to play, I think, End of Sandman and One and a couple of little Metallica riffs and I was like, oh, what? You, you know, you can actually learn how to play this stuff and I remember going home and I found out that Dad had this old acoustic guitar that he'd never really sort of pulled out much in the house and I figured out how to sort of just practice those simple things and just sort of went from there. So, I mean, from an early age, were you motivated to kind of push it as far as you could or did you just see it as kind of a pastime kind of hobby? Uh, I'd always, like I said, I'd always played music in bands and stuff, so I'd always taken the practicing side pretty seriously, I guess, because I always had rehearsals and stuff on already, but I wasn't really doing anything band-wise with guitar. I just kind of was something I wanted to do myself. So I used to just kind of just, you know, pick it up and just try and teach myself for the first few years of playing. And uh, that was basically just consisted of, you know, buying guitar magazines and trying to learn songs out of there and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I didn't really ever have any intention of it sort of being a serious thing. It was just something I loved doing. And um, I remember, yeah, I got my first electric guitar. It was... You know, it was pretty just a basic sort of starter pack sort of thing. And and um, I remember Dad sort of even saying to me when I first got that, he's like, you know, you don't want to be bloody wasting your time with this thing. You know, a lot of people I see just spend too much time playing these guitars and, and don't focus on the important things. But um, anyway, however many years later and I'm still wasting my, <laughs> my time on that bloody thing, I guess. So. <laughs> well, what's he, what's he saying now when he sees what you're doing? Oh, he's actually... A huge, huge supporter of everything I, I do, which is really awesome. He's um, 
I mean, not that he's like a metal fan at all, but he, he loves the fact that I've, you know, just stuck with it and put in a lot of work and I'm real passionate about it. And, and he loves sort of just following what the band's up to and comes to shows, him and mum both huge, uh, you know, huge supporters of, of me just doing what I love doing, which has been awesome. So, you know, if, if your family's telling you basically, you know, you need to focus a bit um, in high school, what were you looking at pursuing? Because, you know, most of us during those years, we're told, find your path, know what you're going to do. You need to have this mapped out. Did you have any idea what you wanted to do that wasn't music orientated? Uh, I mean, I always did pretty decently in school with marks and all that kind of stuff. And I was a pretty good student across the board. Just, you know, I was a bit of a nerd. I never like skipped class or did any of that stuff. But Outside of school, I was definitely super into sort of music and especially heavy metal stuff. And I was also pretty keen on playing rugby union. So mm. I used to, um, that was kind of where all my time sort of went outside of school was sort of footy or, or music. And um, as I was getting towards the end of high school and, yeah, you sort of got the pressure put on you for what you want to do with your life and where you're going to go with it and all that kind of stuff, my um, sort of the, the one thing I wanted to do was something with music. But, um, you know, I know that's a pretty unrealistic expectation for anyone to try and make a, a living out of that. So I had a sort of – that was kind of plan A and, and plan B was do something to do with sport. Um, so I had sort of the marks to get into certain uni courses for uh, sports science and that kind of stuff. But my um, main priority was to try and audition for some universities and get into some music courses. So that was what I sort of spent – my time sort of towards the end of high school working towards that and sort of all the career advisors and stuff in the school always kind of would say look you know you're wasting your time with this like don't don't even bother like the, the course you want to get into all the people from our school that have ever tried out for that have never gotten in so you know I'd just sort of focus on something that's a bit more realistic I think that just made me want to do it even more and so I ended up uh, I, I grew up in Canberra and I ended up sort of auditioning for universities all around Australia while all my mates were at schoolies. So I missed out on that, but I was sort of getting on a train and went to Armadale for one. I did a few up in Sydney. Um, so I was kind of travelling around just auditioning for these courses and I, I ended up getting into that one which I wanted to really get into, which was based in uh, Lismore up on the north coast. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I ended up getting into that and that was kind of, yeah, where I – just ended up moving there by myself after I finished school and sort of started pursuing a, you know, a bit more of a serious attempt at making a crack at music, I guess. So, I mean, clearly you, from the offset, you've been pretty motivated, whether that was naysayers or just your own intuition, but you obviously were determined to get it done. And you can see that determination obviously is then translated to the band as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's something I've always known. It's it's a hard thing to sort of get any degree of success in, especially with the style of music the band I play in is involved with, and and being from Australia as well. So yeah, I've always known it's a it's a hard slog, and and it's you know it's not something that's just going to happen overnight, or you know any of that sort of stuff. But um, you know, I've, I've put in a lot of work over the years, and so have the other guys in the band, and you know, we've uh, we've managed to achieve certain things, but you know, there's still a long way to go. Yeah, but that that 
element of knowing that it's a hard slog and putting in the work and, you know, doing things in the early years DIY and grinding at it is something that everyone knows needs to be done, but actually putting it into application uh, is something not a lot of bands can persist with. I mean, is there something that has driven you and motivated you consistently to keep going, keep going? Uh, I think it's just myself. It's just something I've just never lost the passion for it. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of, of metal music as well, so you know I'm always checking out new bands and going to as many gigs as I can and all that kind of stuff where I think some people, once they kind of you know get involved in it, they lose the passion for whatever reason and you know they just get a bit burned out by some bad experiences or all that kind of thing. But any of the bad experiences I've had have kind of just end up becoming good stories down the track and, and just motivation for you know, doing things better the next time and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, let's go back a little bit before we start getting into aversion stuff. And, you know, you're starting out getting into stuff like Metallica um, and then, you know, you look at what you play now in aversions. Where's the steps for you progressing into more extreme styles of metal? Yeah, I guess I kind of just started getting into more extreme stuff slowly just through... Yeah, I think watching things like Late Night Rage, uh, buying heavy music magazines, all that kind of stuff. Because uh, I'm a bit of an old fella now, I guess back when I was getting into it, they didn't have the internet; literally didn't exist. Mm. Um, so they weren't the avenues that there are now to discover new music. So you had to sort of actually get outside the house and go places and go to record stores. And I would literally go into this. We had a good record store in the city I grew up in, and and just sort of go through the metal section and find album covers I thought looked cool and I would just put them on the listening post and check them out and, and found bands that way or I'd, I'd read interviews with guys in magazines and go, oh, wow, this band sounds like they'd be really cool and you'd just buy the album and take a punt on it and sometimes you'd like it, sometimes it, it wouldn't be your thing. But, yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of um, I guess, just trial and error, just trying out bands and and just kind of uh, because you would actually invest money into each thing you'd, you'd listen to you'd have to actually buy a cd you kind of you know put a lot more time into you know into the albums and you'd get a lot more out of it i think whereas i think nowadays there's just so much there that people just sort of skim over things and you don't kind of invest as much into into albums as maybe people used to but that's just how it is yeah dude i i remember the exact same thing you know i'm in my late 30s and you know, I had the same thing. You'd buy an album based off maybe the artwork, the label. Uh, sometimes it was based off the sticker because it said for fans of. And the motiv- sure. the motivation to like that CD was high. Um, and also it forced you into finding different styles. And is that how you kind of got into the real heavy stuff was you were just by chance, you know, let's say buying a Cannibal Corpse album? Um, yeah, for sure. I think... Also, when I started going to gigs, I was around 14 or something and there was a lot of sort of local metal gigs in Canberra at the time and I would go to gigs and I would just sort of take note of shirts that people would be wearing at the gigs as well and go, all right, well, I've got to remember that band and and you'd start sort of seeing some sort of heavier bands playing and they'd all be wearing like obituary and Morbid Angel shirts and stuff like that and i go, all right, I've got to go listen to these bands now and and that's how I started getting into a bit more of the death metal stuff. And, yeah, some of the earlier bands I listened to there were 
probably yeah morbid angel and obituary and and then cannibal corpse and stuff like that and and just kind of the more old school traditional death metal bands and and at first it, it kind of seemed pretty overwhelming trying to figure out what was going on but like I, yeah like we discussed um yeah you kind of just invested a lot of time into albums and i just listened to it over and over and just started sort of understanding it a bit more and and appreciating the musicianship on it and all that kind of stuff and and that was kind of just yeah set me on that path for up until now i guess <laughs> um you know you mentioned live music in there and you also mentioned earlier that you know you went to the school up in lismore and all of this stuff you know what's the scene like for you going on around you um at that time with local bands and gigs going on are you getting motivated to kind of get a band going at this stage yeah so when i moved to lismore that was right after high school i moved there at the start of 2004 and at that point i was i'd been listening to metal for many years but probably the last 12 18 months of high school i started getting more into so the hardcore bands as well, which I'd never really listened to previously. Um, but yeah, I, I saw a few good live shows, and I just loved the energy of it. And and, uh, and then started hearing a bit more of the early metalcore stuff, and I just I loved the the energy of that kind of music as well. So I moved to Lismore, and straight away sort of made friends with this guy, sort of in the first day or two at uni. And and um, yeah, we had a few bands we liked in common, and he ended up taking me. Uh, there was this band I loved at the time called I Killed the Prom Queen, mm-hmm. and they were they were playing in Byron Bay, sort of a couple of days later, um, and I was like, oh wow, I didn't sort of realise that Byron Bay would even have bands play there. So me and him drove over there, and uh, it was one of the early sort of Parkway Drive shows as well. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, I'm at this show in Byron Bay, and there's a couple of hundred kids in the youth centre just going psycho to all these bands that I'd never really heard other than Prom Queen and. I was like, holy shit, there's this whole other thing going on in this in this town. I've got to kind of keep in touch with this. And so from then on, I just sort of went to every show in Byron that I could and, yeah, ended up sort of starting a band. So, uh, yeah, there was kind of – internet was a thing, but they didn't even have MySpace or anything back then. So I used to just put up little notes in the music shops in town just saying, like, I play guitar, I listen to these bands, does anyone want to start a band with me? And, yeah, it sort of ended up meeting some people through those notes I wrote and, um, yeah, got into a sort of a band that ended up doing this kind of metalcore stuff. Um, and, yeah, we would play sort of anywhere from Brisbane to Byron New Centre and and that band sort of evolved over the years into something else. And, um, yeah, we it was something that I did sort of throughout, yeah, for about – three or four years while I was at uni living in Lismore and ended up sort of doing some Aussie tours with that band and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, that was kind of what inspired me to really start doing bands. And then sort of by that stage, some of the bands, like especially Parkway, were starting to have success like around Australia and we were thinking, oh, shit, this is a bit of a thing now. Like people are actually getting into this sort of music. It's really kicking off and... It was pretty crazy seeing how fast it kind of spread. Where are you? Can you? What was the name of that band? Uh, it, the name of that band was City in Panic. It, it started yeah. off with a different name, but that's sort of what it ended up being called. Okay. And we we just had like a an EP release, and yeah, we did a bunch of just sort of touring around Australia for a couple of years with that band. 
And did it, you know, those those couple of years in that band, touring around, doing regional shows, all that jazz, were you also at that time learning uh, the right things to do and the wrong things to do? For sure. It was a lot of trial and error back then, I guess, because, you know, I, we were just, none of us really knew anyone. We were just sort of meeting people and just from going to so many shows and and all that kind of stuff, your network kind of grows organically doing that sort of stuff and you realised pretty quickly that it was pretty important to make sure that you knew all the people in the scene because that's how I got anything. Like any show I ever got on like was because I, I knew this person or any tour I got offered was because I'd met this other person somewhere and just realised how important it is to network within the scene and, and I think that was probably the biggest lesson I learned from any of that stuff and, and people I met from you know, the stuff I did in that band, are, but there's still people who are active in the scene that because of my relationship with them from, you know, back in 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, like I'm still, you know, things are still opening up for me because of those those years. So it's, it goes a long way to, to network with people. Yeah, it is. And it's quite a vital thing when you're starting out, as you said, get to know people, network. Um, but what was the end of that band was there a reason that band finished or did you think there was still some life in it when it was coming to the finish i mean i thought there was still life in it but everyone kind of just went in different life paths i guess and that and that happens and you know people were finishing uni and, and starting jobs and that kind of stuff um the singer of that band chase he went on to to do another band called before the throne and and they kind of did a lot of cool stuff around australia and and then he went went on to join a band called the Redshaw, mm-hmm. who also did a lot of great stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, as soon as that finished, I was like, all right, well, I guess it's time to to start something else. And that's when I moved to the Gold Coast, um, and yeah, started sort of jamming with some new people, and I, I jammed with a few different kind of bands when I first moved here, and just sort of thought, all right, well, I'm just going to have to pick the one that I think has the most potential, and and sort of put everything into that. I can't sort of spread myself too thin between all these other bands or none of them are going to do anything. I've got to kind of just commit to one and, and just push that as hard as I can. And so I just sort of, um, yeah, got together with a few dudes and we we started a band called Widow the Sea mm-hmm. and we did a bunch of stuff over a few years with that band. Yeah, and Widow ended up kind of forming into, in many ways, aversions. Yeah, well... The singer of that band, Colin, ended up mm-hmm. joining Aversions Crown, and and then yeah, a little while later, he got me to join Aversions Crown as well. So yeah, and and we've had uh, the bass player from Widow Sea, Damo, has ended up playing in Aversions Crown on a bunch of tours and and helped out the band over the years too. So we kind of were, you know, just knew the guys sort of since we both started around the same time and used to gig together, and it's a pretty small scene sort of up up that way and. Everyone sort of knows everyone once you start doing sort of regular local gigs and stuff. So it's pretty pretty common in any local scene that everyone sort of knows each other. Yeah, and also an interesting thing was during this time with the scene, not only probably locally but also uh, through Australia, there was a lot of bands kind of popping off um, and getting quite a bit of momentum. Um, when things started to really roll with aversions, um, where where do you think the scene was in Australia as a whole? Well, I think Aversions 
started sort of touring pretty heavily around Australia before I joined. So that was, um, I guess, when, yeah, the, the death core thing was sort of spearheaded by, I guess, probably the Redshaw. They were the first mm. sort of big death core band in Australia. And they were sort of, you know, getting a lot of momentum and they had some, you know, like the tragic accident, but then they came back and, and sort of kept going. And, and there was other sort of bands at the time, like Die Art was starting to get a lot of traction and there was a pretty good sort of deathcore scene for a while there. Um, and they sort of emerged when that was all happening, but a lot of that kind of fizzled out. And then at the end of it, there, there wasn't that many bands left going and, and they were one of the standouts, I think. So, um I think at the time, yeah, when they sort of first started out, Deathcore was doing a, you know, it was a kind of a pretty trendy thing in Australia, but it's kind of just shifted and styles always kind of change, especially in Australia. There's always some new sort of trend going on. But, um, yeah, I think when I first joined the band was, that was in sort of, it was about six years ago, I guess. So about this time, six years ago and, it was just as the band was working on the Tyrant album and and getting ready to sort of sign to Nuclear Blast and there's a whole bunch of stuff lined up and that was when they really started to push it internationally and not not just around Australia. Yeah, it was an interesting, you know, when you shifted into the band, as you said, just before Tyrant, which was around 14, 15, um, the band had... And I don't mean it in a light way. They had done a lot of work, you know, a lot of regional runs, um, you know, being either a headliner or a main support. They were really pushing things and grinding away. When you came into the band, was there a sense of pressure or expectation or nerves for you? Or was it kind of like you didn't have any pressure going on? You were just ready to roll? I mean, there's always you know, pressure and nerves that you put on yourself if you're really passionate about doing something. And for me, it was an opportunity to to be in a band that was that all kind of were as hungry for it as I was, I guess. And it was it was pretty cool and exciting for all of us to all of a sudden have all these new opportunities pop up to um yeah to do more touring and especially more international touring and all that kind of stuff. So I was just kind of ready to go as soon as the opportunity came. I was like, all right, well. I'm going to just give this my best shot and, and do the best I can and and just whatever happens from there. So, yeah, it was I was kind of thrown in the deep end with it. So when I joined the band, it was kind of um, pretty last minute. that They just were like, look, we need a guitarist. Sort of if you're ready to go, it's got to happen sort of now. And and the next day I was kind of doing a photo shoot and, and then um, I'd, I'd never even sort of learnt the songs yet or, I'd never even actually played an eight-string guitar at that point, so I went to this photo shoot and uh, we someone threw me a, a guitar to go home and start practicing on, and had a jam with the guys a couple of days later, and I kind of knew the set already. And then uh, an opportunity came up when we were at the jam to uh, jump on the a tour with the Devil Driver and Whitechapel, which was the following weekend. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm. I've got to be pretty good by next week <laughs> playing in front of some pretty solid crowds straight away and, and that kind of was the start of it and, yeah, it went really well and we just kind of haven't really stopped since. Now, another big thing coming in is, you know, the, the band's on Nuclear Blast. I mean, that's a um, 
got to be a bit of a crazy thing unto itself as well. Big time. It's like you said earlier, how you would often kind of check out bands based on the label they were on and Nuclear Blast was always one for me. If I saw a Nuclear Blast logo on the spine, I think, all right, well, who's this? I've got to check this band out. And and then years later, I'm in a band that is part of that label and part of that culture and that history and stuff is pretty mind-blowing. And they're such a, a cool label even to this day that I think they keep kind of staying in touch with what's happening in the world of metal more than any other label. And they're just so on the pulse with what's going on and, you know, stylistically and not, you know, they're not pigeonholed into one style of metal. They're they're sort of tapped into the whole thing, like all the stuff that's going on in Europe and America and even in Australia. So, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to be part of it and they're such a cool team and and really supportive of what we're doing as well. And that that album that you kind of came into um, as it was going was, was Tyrant. Um, as you mentioned earlier, and what was the reception and reaction when you guys were not only playing but noticing across fans and the industry? Were you noticing it was starting to turn some heads? Yeah, I think so, and especially for me, you know, I I could kind of see it from a different perspective because I wasn't part of the band before that, so I could kind of see, you know, the spike in in interest from uh, from people, whereas the other guys, I guess, were a bit more emotionally invested in the band and you can't really necessarily see things outside of your perspective. So it was pretty cool to be able to see it from both sides as kind of a friend and fan and also as being part of the band. And, and yeah, things definitely started sort of sort of growing and all these new opportunities started sort of popping up for us. And, and it's at that point too where things definitely get harder for a band like that and especially being from Australia because all of a sudden you're getting all these opportunities to do things in other countries and all this stuff and and all those things cost a lot of money and all of a sudden, yeah, the bands kind of have to, the guys in the band have to fork out to to do these tours and people have to kind of go through losing jobs and maybe losing girlfriends and all that kind of stuff to really push the band And, and that's when it's kind of, a lot of bands can come unstuck, I guess, and and people can get burned out or, or lose motivation or change their priorities and stuff when they realise the work that's involved and the sacrifices that have to be made. So it's a pretty big transition phase when those kind of things happen and I've seen it happen with a lot of other bands and it's it's awesome when you see them kind of push through that that initial hurdle and, and, and continue on and kind of keep to, you know, keep succeeding. But... A lot of bands can kind of come unstuck at that point because it is such a big change and, you know, it's financially draining emotionally and physically draining to to sort of keep going at that point. Yeah, and, you know, you hit a nail on the head for one question I was going to ask and that is the sacrifices and it is something that I think some listeners maybe don't fully understand and you kind of encapsulated it. It's life It goes on pause basically for you but at home everything keeps moving forward at a normal pace that means relationships weddings funerals all of this is still happening and you're missing out but that's a sacrifice you have to make and then you add on being an Australian band the financial impact is a lot more and higher than if you were an American act or a European act exactly right and I mean I've missed out on so many 
sort of important things uh, over the years, like you said, you know, weddings, funerals, birthdays, all that kind of stuff. And it'll continue to happen, unfortunately, but that's, that's just part of what, what we do. And there's, there's no real way around that. If you want to do this and go down this path, then you have to be prepared to kind of make those sacrifices. But yeah, it is definitely a bigger financial strain on an Australian band. I know if, say, if we were based in either Europe or America, we could sort of tour around there and, and generate income without having to fork out a lot of money for flights, fork out a lot of money for visas, all this kind of stuff, which kind of just kills all the profit you make on your early tours. Um, you know, and all of a sudden, if you're a band from over there and you start getting a bit of traction, you can actually be living off the band, you know, and in the, it's pretty early stages because the tours over there are so extensive. You can, you can play sort of 30 to 40 nights in a row almost and and once you've got a bit of traction you can kind of earn income every night you can sell good numbers of merch you can make money off the show you know you get tips all this kind of stuff and uh especially in europe you know there's so much good catering they really look after the bands and you don't even have to sort of spend money on food and all that extra expense that you know you have touring in australia so it is um a lot harder for us to to kind of get over that financial hurdle, I guess, compared to a lot of bands, I think, who are over there. And, and they, they may not realise how lucky they are to, to kind of have that opportunity even from the start of their band's careers. But, you know, I think that also makes us work even harder and it makes us even hungrier for it, knowing how, how hard it is for us. And so that maybe that's why, you know, we've, we've kind of stayed so passionate about it. Yeah, and you, you know it. It's definitely something that makes or breaks not only people but bands, as you said. And the other thing is, you're growing up on the road in many ways. You're already doing that in the Australian scene, but it's a whole different kettle of fish when you're doing it in a different country um, and on a different level, emotionally and financially. Big time. Yeah, you, you learn so much about yourself and the world around you when you when you're doing that kind of stuff and. It just sort of opens your eyes to what else is going on in the world uh, in every aspect and especially musically, I think, because, you know, when you're in a country like Australia, you can be quite sort of isolated, I guess, because, you know, even though it's a, it's a big country, there's a lot going on and you, you're a band from, say, Brisbane, uh, for you to go to even play in the next big city, which would be Sydney, that's a, you know, like a 16-hour you know, drive or whatever. Um, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge deal to kind of get down there and, and do any of that stuff. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to go overseas and just kind of see people appreciating musically, oh, music differently over in other countries and, and so many different cities and, and places are just so open-minded about it and, and you just kind of realise, all right, well, you know, just because this is happening where I live doesn't mean that people aren't into this and that over in other big places around the world. So it kind of makes you realise that it's a big place and, and there's so many places for you to, you know, to be appreciated with what you're doing, even if it's, you know, say death metal isn't that popular in Australia, doesn't mean that it's not going to be popular in Germany or in Canada or America or all sorts of other places. Well, that's an, you know, you mentioned, we've, and we're mentioning it a couple of times, Europe, and um, it's definitely something that also with aversions, you know, clearly they're into 
you know, deathcore and death metal and all that stuff. And the fact that even an opportunity has on several occasions and still does come up for aversions is also a tip your cap to the fact that you are doing something right. Well, that's it. And it is, it is a really cool feeling to, to keep getting like, I mean, obviously getting an offer to, to go and do a tour and in Europe is awesome, but then I think it's even better to get the follow-up offer and go, all right, well, this band wants you to come back and do this. And, and it's like, all right, well, wow, that last time we went over must've really helped us and, and made us grow again. So I think getting the follow-up offers is kind of the, that's it kind of makes you realize, all right, well, we've, we're doing something, we're on the right path, whatever it is. And, and it kind of helps you uh, stay focused to keep pushing it and, and keep working. Now we, you know, we're talking about Europe and in around 2015, you guys got over to Europe and then, you had issues with Colin and you had Mark uh, come in initially as fill-in. Um, you know, what can you say or what can't, can't you say? You know, I don't want you to get overly personal or whatever, but at the time it was, you know, there was talk of he wasn't quite healthy, but he said it was due to lack of passion. Um, what happened? And then also the second question is, What's that like for you in a band when you've got all this stuff that you're sacrificing for and a key piece of the puzzle's missing and you're starting to panic a bit? Uh, I wouldn't say it's panic. It's it's probably just a bit more kind of disappointment that when it's kind of, you know, you've got a team of guys together and you're working towards someone and then someone else is just kind of like, oh, you know what, I, I don't really want to put in this this work anymore. And it kind of just takes the wind out of your sails a bit to just go, what are we all doing then? If, if we're not all in this together, then, you know, what's the point? But um, it always ends up being a positive thing in the long run. And every time that you know, we've been through this a couple of times now. And so when yeah, Colin decided that he just didn't want to be in a touring band anymore, and it was pretty unfortunate timing, I guess, because it was right as we were starting to, you know, we just released the Tyrant album and we were about to start touring Europe and all these other places. And, and all of a sudden we've just released this album that's getting all this attention and the singer isn't part of it anymore. And so, um, yeah, Mark ended up filling in for the band and and while we were in Europe with Mark, uh, Colin sort of sent us all a message and just said, yeah, look, I'm out. I don't really want to do any more tours. And so we just sort of said, Mark, look, you're doing a good job. Were you interested in, in joining the band? And, and he was, and that was kind of where we ended up joining uh, or Mark ended up joining the band and, it's um yeah so we did a, a whole heap of stuff with Mark and and I guess yeah it was kind of funny because when he joined the band he was just he was kind of copying a lot of criticism at the time of you know people were like you know blah blah we want Colin back this that and the other and and now Mark's left the band and and we've got a new vocalist again Tyler Miller and he's kind of going through the same thing where now all these people who maybe didn't respond to Mark at the start and now like, oh, we want Mark. And so it's just an ongoing thing and, and people get used to hearing one thing and then once they get used to it and appreciate it and, you know, I'm sure, you know, people are going to, you know, love the sound of Aversion's Crown now and what we are planning to do in the future. So it's just one of those things. People, once they lose their passion for something and it's it's gone and you, you kind of can't really bring it back i guess so well first first thing i'll say before answer that was anyone that's which i don't know why if you're worried about how tyler sounds you know i got 
got to listen to it the other day. Uh, label sent me a copy. Yeah, nothing to worry about. There is nothing to worry about. Um, and I think that's the thing with the versions on any release that may or may not have your favourite vocalist on it. There's never a doubt if it's good. It still steps up. It's still what you want. Um, so I think anyone that's giving Tyler a hard time needs to zip it. Don't worry about it. Um, and if you want to send me some hate now that I've said that, you know, my inbox is always open for the listeners. Uh, so you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but um, was there a stage, you know, you had Mark Fillion. Did you feel at any stage like, oh, okay, maybe this just isn't worth doing or it was like no matter what, we're going to keep pushing on? Yeah, it was always the no matter what, we're going to keep pushing on and, and that's the attitude we've had. And I mean, this band has had so much bad luck and so many setbacks over the years that people will never probably even know about that we've had to deal with and and we just get on with it. Like we don't make a big song and dance about it. We just keep doing the job. So and that's what's going to happen forever. You know, we there's always going to be something. You know, there's always something goes wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. So you just deal with it and and move on, and 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 then you know just keep pushing it and and trying to improve on everything you're doing, despite whatever circumstances are happening personally or in the world or with the band or any of that kind of stuff. Well, it seems like you know even after Mark joined, you guys weren't slowing down and you're still not slowing down you know i don't mean that you know you look at what happened afterwards additional european tours finally got out to america um the momentum really seemed like it stepped up another gear if it was possible during and before um a genocide was that how it was internally that you noticed for sure and i think that all just kind of happened from the amount of touring the band did and, and we just all decided, all right, this is how we're going to kind of grow the band and we just got a tour and, you know, obviously you you, you got to be smart about it as well and you can't just kind of do everything. But any kind of good touring opportunity that we thought would benefit the band in whatever way, we would do it. And so we spent a lot of time playing shows all around all around the place and, and I think that was what sort of definitely contributed to that. And if we you know had have stayed with a vocalist who couldn't tour or didn't want to tour uh the band would never have sort of done anything i don't think you know just based off the music alone is isn't kind of enough to to grow a band especially in in this current day and age so you have to be on the road and and as soon as there's someone in the band that doesn't want to be on the road then it's time to to find someone who does yeah and that's definitely you know I think anyone notices with the band, you know, it's commendable that that's how you guys roll and it, it continually rolls. Um, I, I, as a big fan, I did notice that things around last year seemed to slow down uh, for you guys. Now, was that that you were focusing on recording? Was that just lack of opportunities? Or did a lot of that have to do with Mark's inability to contribute to the band? Yeah, I think a lot of it was due to the fact that you know our, our vocalists didn't want to be on tour, so we we were kind of on a, a roll, sort of you know towards the end of 2018. We'd just come off the back of a big American tour supporting Black Dahlia Murder and Whitechapel, and and that was kind of the tour that we'd wanted to do for so many years, and we finally got to do it. We we're playing in front of big crowds with great bands we loved, and then sort of as soon as we got back to Australia, he just sort of said, well, 
I want a break. And we're like, well, look, you know, we're on a roll here. We can't just kind of stop. But, you know, we also can't tour without a full band. So we, we were kind of forced to take a bit of time off. We didn't book anything for sort of six months. And just to kind of give him this, the time and space he, he'd asked for. And then, you know, we once we started booking tours and, and firing things up again and he'd said, yep, I'm going to be ready to go. Last minute he's like, well, look, I'm actually not going to do it. So that's when we were sort of in that position again where we had to start finding fill-ins and, and decide what to do with the band's future. And that was kind of what slowed us down quite a lot uh, last year, unfortunately. So, And then, you know, this year we were kind of ready to go again after – all these setbacks and we're like finally we're back on track we had all these tours lined up we we're ready to get out and work again and um the pandemic hits and so now we're kind of <laughs> stuck at home again so it would have been more convenient for us if that had hit last year i think where it might have sort of worked out you know not affecting us as much but anyway that's the way it goes and and now we have this to to kind of deal with like everyone else in the world does and yeah we'll, we'll deal with it and we'll we'll get through it and come back out the other end and keep working how do you stay so calm and level-headed about it like to be honest i'd be fucking infuriated that you know it it happens one once with a vocalist and then i'm like all right okay and it happens again with the the next vocalist i'd just be like fuck's sake we we are going places guys we're touring with like spite oceano within the ruins black dahlia murder and this just we can't catch a break it feels yeah that's it it's it's always just it's felt like that um, and it is hard to stay calm and focused at times and trust me, we've all had our moments over the, the last couple of years but at the end of the day, we all still have the same goals and vision that we had originally so that's what always kind of pulls us all back together and, and gets us back on track. So, um, yeah, it's you can't kind of dwell on that too much even though it's hard to kind of get out of that headspace when negative things are happening but... Once you kind of push through it and then, you know, we've come out of it and we've ended up in a way better place than we were. So it always ends up, you know, even though we have to go through some shit, we end up coming out in, in a better place than we were before it. So maybe it just happens for a reason. Well, just tell Tyler that he, you know, if he's going to leave the band, it has to be in a coffin. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the only, it's the only way. Not having three in a row. Exactly. Um, now, speaking of Tyler, you know, we we mentioned earlier that you know he's now the vocalist and initially he was kind of doing some fill-in work and how did you guys link up with Tyler because he is also or was formerly in a band called The Guild so how did that come about for you guys? Yeah well as I said we were in a position where we needed a fill-in vocalist for some tours that we had coming up and so we'd sort of reached out to some people that we already knew but they were unavailable and so we thought all right well we're going to have to kind of go with someone that we don't know and because uh, we're not going to pull out we don't cancel tours you know if we commit we we're committed so we started reaching out to some people in various other bands that we and that was one of the ones we just kind of stumbled across um you know just always listening to bands from around the world and, and checking out new music and that was just the voice that that stuck out to us to us all sort of pretty much straight away and so he was someone that we contacted and and we contacted a few people but Straight away, he was just super into it and, and he sort of replied straight away and he was like, yep, what what would I have to do to, you know, to kind of show you what that I'm keen and whatever. And I think Chris had said, look, you know, if you 
sent him an instrumental and said, look, record your version of this song for us and get it back to us. And, you know, we're still sort of emailing people waiting for replies and straight away he's already recorded a song and sent it back to us and it sounded great. And we thought, wow, this guy actually sounds awesome on our music and, and he seems really keen, which is a breath of fresh air from going from people that you kind of just had to drag to do anything. Um, so we're like, all right, this is a good start. Let's, uh, let's keep this guy in mind. And all of a sudden, you know, all these other people we'd sort of spoken to just didn't show any sort of enthusiasm or whatever it was. Whereas for him, he was like, this is an opportunity for me to do something I want to do. And, and he kind of felt like he was on the same page as us. So we thought, look, we don't know this guy, but we're going to give him a go. We plucked him out of the town he lives in, which is Knoxville, Tennessee and, (laughs) Chucked him on a plane. He'd never been overseas or anything before. So we just threw him on a plane by himself and he ends up in Germany and we put him on a tour bus and all of a sudden he's got to sing headline sets for Versions Crown around Europe for a month. So, yeah, it was a, a huge challenge for him and it was, I guess, a huge gamble for us because we didn't know how he was going to go uh, musically and if we were going to all get on, you know, we, we'd all been chatting over the internet, but once you're on tour, it's a whole different thing. And, and it ended up being great. And he performed really well every night and he was just constantly improving and working on his performance. And, you know, from the start of that tour to the end of it, he, he'd just grown so much and we were like, wow, this guy has so much potential already. And we just kind of got on really well as mates as well, which is super important when you spend as much time touring as we do. So, yeah, but uh, I mean, obviously the the only real issue was the fact that he didn't live in Australia, so that was kind of what you know hindered us getting him straight away. We thought, all right, well, look, he's great and everything, but can this work with having him on the other side of the world? But you know, after we kind of weighed up all the pros and cons and, and looked at it, and it kind of we thought it might even sort of work in our favour uh, with a lot of the touring plans we had being in America and. That's one less visa, one less flight you have to get over there. Um, even getting him to Europe is cheaper than flying from Australia to Europe. And obviously when we tour Australia, we don't do just the kind of one-off show in Brisbane anymore. It's Whenever we do the tours here, they, they're like a full tour. So if he was going to come over, it wouldn't just be for one show. It would be for a full tour anyway. So, you know, it kind of ended up seem, seeming like it, it might even sort of benefit us having him over there so that's how it happened well I think I think you touched on something that's really important is obviously he could had the chops on the recording but he's got the chops live obviously um but the chemistry is obviously very important which I think some listeners maybe do know and maybe don't know is it is four to five sometimes six different personalities in the same area and you need everyone to kind of gel or deal with each other in a way that's manageable. Sometimes that can work, sometimes it can't. So it was obviously really important for you guys to basically put him through a test of that European run. That's it. And I think doing a tour like that is is enough to really get to know someone. It's you get it's kind of like just a a really intense experience doing a sort of an international tour like that and it kind of brings out the best or the worst in people depending on their personalities and how they handle stressful situations and lack of sleep and 
lack of food at times and all that kind of stuff because um, sometimes you might be stuck on a bus for the whole day and, and there's no chance to stop and get something to eat and, you know, that's just how it is. But, um, you know, he handled everything really well. He, he woke up every morning just super excited to, to be there and looking forward to all the shows and it, it was great and it was um, it was just really fun hanging out with him on that tour as well and, yeah, that was sort of the most fun we'd had on a tour for a while and yeah we just didn't we wanted to keep that going so it, it, it's so important it is it's it's a vital piece of the puzzle um you know it is you know as long as they can write the music that's one thing but you know getting along with each other is a whole different kettle of fish um let's talk a little bit about hell will come for us all which as the listeners know i've been raving about the last two singles uh they've been singles of the week on the show uh, comes out June twelfth. Now, going into this album, um, is there any sense of expectations or pressure? Last couple of releases, as we said, have kind of kept growing the momentum. So, is there a sense of you need to step up again? You got to push it again. Always, uh, we're always trying to step it up and and push it. And and I think the band, the songwriting, has definitely matured and evolved. A lot on this album and I think that's why we're so proud of it and I think there's so much more for the listeners to kind of get out of this one than, than maybe the previous ones both musically and thematically and lyrically and all that kind of stuff and we really wanted to kind of you know just expand our ideals and all that kind of stuff and and not be so pigeonholed into a, a small niche genre I guess is what we had been previously and you know, like we still love doing what we did on the on the last few records and we love all that music and playing it live and we're going to continue doing stuff like that but we don't want to be sort of stuck only doing singing about one thing or the other thing. So I think this one we just were like, all right, well, we're going to just do what we feel is is the right thing for us and for the band and 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 just hopefully it works for us. Yeah, I've got to say that that's an interesting thing I notice is, which you, you touched on, you know, you guys have always kind of touted yourself as Alien Core, um, which, you know, I always found lovely, amusing, you know, I like that. It was kind of a new thing for yourselves to tout. Um, and it it feels like this album has stepped in many ways away from that. Um, but also this album feels like there's a lot more atmospheric elements going on not that it wasn't there before but it feels like it's really prevalent like it's created a lot more of a dense sound uh, a lot more dramatic sound within what you guys do yeah and that's exactly what we were hoping people would would hear from it so i'm glad that you you know felt that way about the music because that was definitely one of the things we were going for and and like you said yeah we'd we'd kind of had the alien core moniker on the band but it was just something that fans had kind of had given us and we just sort of embraced it because that's what you know people loved calling us out so we thought yeah this is cool let's let's roll with this and um and you know we still love all that stuff as i said and it's it's always going to be part of the band's identity to some degree but we thought you know there's so much more to what who we are and what we're about than just this one thing and we want to try and you know encapsulate all of it i guess and it's it's hard to do that but you know, I think this is the first step in, in, in sort of in doing that. Well, it, you know, part of the reason of also doing that allows you to be a lot broader with future releases. You know, you can only 
sing and write about aliens for so long, really. Exactly right. And it's it's funny too because I know that there's been fans who are like, oh, you know, we we miss the alien stuff once they've heard these new singles. But, you know, aside from the fact that there will be those songs still on the album that mm-hmm. have all that subject matter, it's I feel that if we had done another release that was purely that, the same people would be going, oh, here we go, just another alien song, blah, blah, blah. Like, so it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny. It's a bit of a double-edged sword that some people don't like change, but then, you know, when things stay the same, then they realise, you know, it's, it's always the grass is greener for some people when they hear something new, I think. But, um, yeah, I think once people kind of give the whole album a listen and, and sort of understand where the band's come from and where it's heading, and I think it's going to be a really good good change for us. Yeah, I don't think anyone who is whether they've been a fan or a casual fan of the band previously is going to feel disappointed. I mean, it it's definitely a game. No disappointments and no one needs to worry. It's not a Man O' War album. You know, there's none of this going on. Um, it's all good. I wish it was. Uh, I so wish it was a Man O' War album. Secretly, I was hoping, you know. I got to <laughs> got to track 5 and I thought maybe now. No. Oh, damn it. Um Yeah, they're the B-sides. Oh yes, let's let's have a B sides album full of it. Um, another interesting thing with this album is, and I only noticed it through promo. You've switched to a four piece at the moment, or is that just a temporary thing, or is that now a full time thing being a four piece? No, we'll, we'll still be touring as a five piece, but we just don't have a full time bass player in the band. So yeah, we'll have uh, certain people will fill in for different tours depending on where the tours are, and that's just the way it's kind of worked for us in the past so yeah sort of all the promo for um for the xenocide album was just as a four-piece as well and yeah we're pretty fortunate that we've got you know people that that can help us out with tours and and stuff when we need and and just because of the nature of the band and and how hard it is to you know to commit to a touring lifestyle we understand that and and you know just because we're all committed we don't expect other people to be on that level so that's why we do sort of have sort of different options for different tours to have people help us out and and fill in on bass and that kind of stuff when we need it. Now, talking about the album, an interesting thing that we've also mentioned a couple of times is, as everyone knows, they're not living under a rock, is there is the pandemic going on. And usually for bands, um, listeners know we've talked about it before on the show, is that, you know, when you release an album, you kind of want to tour before the release to lead up to it during the release and after you like you really want to get out there and push the album as much as you can and interesting and unfortunately for you guys you're getting an album out on june 12th and you haven't got the ability to do that um was there any thought in delaying the album and then the second part of the question is how are you looking to navigate this you know at the moment well yeah like you said and it's all pretty unfortunate and unprecedented circumstances, but things were put in place for the release of the album already and a lot of work goes into getting all the release dates and stuff organised through Nuclear Blast and that. So we felt like they were doing such a good job and we were still keen to release the album. And, you know, the way the band has always worked previously and, and succeeded is from touring albums to promote them, like you said, and the fact that we can't do it now you know, it's hard to know if that's going to impact the the album as much as you know. In in some ways, I could 
take some positive aspects and, and think, well, maybe because people can't go to shows and they are at home or maybe having some new music for them to check out could, you know, be a good thing for us that this album comes out at a time when people need something new and they need, you know, something that they can enjoy and, and get around. So it could work out being a positive thing as well in that aspect. Well, I, I, I really uh, hope it is, man. Um, um, it's definitely worth the check out, even if you're just a casual fan of heavy music. Um, just at least spin through the album once. Um, and then if you don't want to listen again, don't. But if you do, keep coming back to it. Um, right, so let's do Pick Your Poison. Give you two options. Pick your favourite of the two. All right? Let's do it. Pizza or burger? I'm going to go pizza. It's um, Pizza's consistent. Burgers are... Uh are great when they're good, but you can have some horrible ones, whereas I find pizzas are just a, a safe bet. Um, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Ooh, I'm going to go with smooth peanut butter, I think. Uh, coffee or tea? Absolutely coffee. Uh, cook at home or dine out? Uh, cook at home at the moment. I've been kind of enjoying eating at home more than I have for a while and, and spend so much time dining out when you're on tour, so... It's nice to be able to just eat at home. Uh, see the movie at the cinema or on the couch at home? Uh, probably these days on the couch at home. Uh, beach or snow? Absolutely beach. Cat or dog? Dog for sure. Uh, Sylvester Sloan or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold all the way. South Park or Simpsons? South Park. Slayer or Pantera? Oh, that's a hard one. I I'm going to go with Slayer. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Another hard one, but Black Dahlia Murder. Um, Slipknot or Machine Head? Oh, I'm going to go with Early Machine Head for sure. Okay, and the last couple. Uh, stage Dives or Mic Grabs? Oh, let's go Mic Grabs. It's always cool when people are, sort of know the lyrics to your music. Uh, watch a show from the pit or up the back? For me, up the back. Tour, tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Tour, for sure. I love travelling and, and playing to new people every night. And last one, uh, get a new album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl or on your phone? Uh, probably on my phone is the easiest for me these days. Bang. Um, Mick, smashed it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. But uh, keep up the work and love everything you're doing. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for the chat, and uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime. All right, brother. Take care. You too, mate. Catch you later. Catch.
So that was my chat with Mick of Aversion's Crown. And at the end there, you heard the band's track, Born in the Gutter. The other song you heard was The Soil. Both of those tracks feature on the band's upcoming album titled Hell Will Come for Us All, which sees its release June 12th through Nuclear Blast Records. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the guest support the band that's been on the show. So you enjoy that conversation. If you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your time, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it. If you're into physical copies, make sure you buy a CD or a vinyl. If you're into merch, make sure you grab some moss shorts or a T-shirt. And if you really, really enjoy what happened Make sure you get online and pre-order that new album before its release, which is on June 12th. I also need to take this moment to thank Mick again. You're an absolute legend, dude. Thank you so very, very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to catching up and doing a part two chat. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 119, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.